the forgotten aspect of shepherding. In many ways, this passage is going to apply to uh, pastoral ministry, where the analogy fits of what a shepherd is. Uh, The analogy is used in the Scriptures of what a pastor is, is that a shepherd to the sheep. But that's not the main point of tonight. The point of tonight is that Jesus is the Good Shepherd. You know, the Gospel of John is perhaps one of the very best uh, books written in the Bible. It's so orderly. It's so neat. John is such a good writer. He, he tells us what he wants us to know. He's got this beautiful prologue at the beginning of John. If any of you are interested in, in learning the Bible and knowing it better, you ought to commit yourself to knowing the beginning of John chapter 1, the first 18 verses of prologue. Before he really begins the Gospel, he writes this 18-verse introduction that's just out of this world. Um, it, it's, it's so good to be familiar with that. John also is the one who tells us in many of his books at the end the reason why he wrote. The end of John 20, 31 says, but I wrote this book for this reason. 1 John, same thing, chapter 5. These are written for this reason. Very, very helpful when you're studying. One of the things that John does throughout the book is he, he has the themes. And you have the I am statements in the Gospel of John. There are seven I am statements. And those I am statements are built upon... Uh, the passage in chapter 8, which is not one of the seven I am statements, where he says, I am who I am. Jesus makes the bold statement to say, He is I am. Who is I am in the Bible? Y'all can speak. God. Y'all remember in the book of Exodus... God tells Moses he's going to go to Egypt. He's going to talk to Pharaoh. He's going to say, Pharaoh, you need to let my people go. And Moses says, well, come on now, God. If I go do that, Pharaoh's going to say, and who says? Because Moses was not near as mighty and powerful, didn't have near as much uh, credit as Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And so Moses says, God, if I go there, he didn't want to, but God convinced him. If I go there and I say to you, to Pharaoh, let God's people go, or let my people go, uh, Pharaoh is going to ask me, who says? Who sent you? And, Pharaoh said, and, and Moses says, God, when he asks that, what do I tell him? And God says, you tell him that I am sent you. I am who I am. What a, what a statement. What a, what, a, what a name. What a strong, confident declaration. Just the to be verb. Isn't that awesome? You are what? Don't tell him who I am. Just tell him I am. Not I am the Lord or I am the King or I am the Creator or I am the Owner or I am the Slave Setter Freer. The Israelite rescuer from Egypt, just say, I am. He'll get the message. And if he doesn't get the message, I'll bring the plagues. He'll get the message. If God wants you to get the message, you'll get the message. Okay? And in the Gospel of John, Jesus has come saying that he is God. And just like we have in the world today, many people who don't believe that He's God, many denominations that don't believe that He's God, people down the street at churches or so-called churches that do not believe that Jesus is God. Many of y'all have friends or neighbors who say they are very religious and say they've been baptized and say they read the Bible, but do not believe that Jesus is God. And they are wrong. They are wrong. They are wrong. Jesus is God. God Almighty. 
he is. And this is the issue that the Jews take up with him in his ministry. Jesus tells them that they don't know the Father. And they say, well, Abraham is our father. And that was a long time ago. Who do you think you are? Jesus responds to their Abraham claim and says, let me tell you, before Abraham was, I am. It about gave them a heart attack. It was over the top. You're telling us that you're God? We're going to crucify you right here. And they couldn't. It took them a while before they could crucify him. Because nobody takes his life from him. He lays it down. But they wanted to because he said he was God. That's chapter 8. Before Abraham was, I am. But the whole theme, the whole gospel of John carries the themes of those I am's. At seven other places in the gospel of John, Jesus says, I am this. Now let's see if with this whole group we can piece together the seven I am statements. Okay? Anybody know any? I am what? Jesus says. The bread of life. Okay? It's John chapter 6. I am the bread of life. The light of the world, John chapter 8, that's right. I am the light of the world, okay? We're going in order, that's even better. The next two are in our chapter 10 today. Miss, Miss Janet has said the way. The way, the truth, and the life, that's John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life, okay? There are two in chapter 10 tonight. The good shepherd and... There's another one. The true vine, that's chapter 15. We're missing two. The gate, the door, same thing. The gate and the door, the same thing. The only way that you can enter into the sheepfold is through the door, and Jesus says He is the door. Okay, For everybody that you know that wants to take up that they're a believer in God but not in Jesus, or that they're going to heaven but not through Jesus, just take them to John chapter 10 where Jesus says He is the door into the kingdom of God, and you're, there is no other way to enter. None. And if you've entered by another way, then you didn't enter the right way, he says. Okay? All right, so we're missing one from John chapter 11. What's that? Nope, not that one. I am the resurrection and the life. It's in chapter 11, okay? There's seven I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. And John, such a good writer, puts those out there. Okay? Here's what those are. It's a fascinating study. If you ever want to do a study on your own, or if somebody ever asks you to lead a Bible study, just go there. Because here's what Jesus is saying. When he says, I am, he's telling you he's God. When he says, I am the bread of life, he is telling you how he is God to you. Just like you need bread to survive. Just like you need food to be your sustenance. right? Just like you get hungry and you eat regularly. Jesus is is God and is God to you in that way. All of these I am statements are how he is God to us. It's awesome. So good. Jesus is the ultimate teacher. If you've ever read about Jesus, you learn that. He's the ultimate teacher. He teaches deeper than anybody ever has, yet in a likable, connecting way. No wonder they were fascinated. 
Well, tonight I want to look at the Good Shepherd. And I want to show you specifically the forgotten aspect of shepherding. Let's start reading in John chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Verse 7, so he continues. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. The shepherd analogy is, is nothing new. And you know that a shepherd is somebody that takes care of the sheep, right? Everybody knows that. He watches after the sheep, he cares for the sheep, loves the sheep, guards the sheep, protects the sheep, feeds the sheep. We know that. When we make that analogy to a pastor... Uh, we can say that he feeds the sheep and he protects the sheep. Okay? That's what a pastor is supposed to do. And these days, it's really common for people to talk about leaders and they talk about the word leadership more than they do the idea of shepherding. And I think that that's an okay jump to go from shepherding to leading. There are leadership conferences everywhere these days for pastors. The shepherd analogy is used... But there's an aspect about Jesus being our shepherd that I want to make sure that we don't neglect and we don't forget. And I want to make sure that we get that. And that is that a shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He says it four times in this passage. It's funny to me that people will read this passage so many times and that will not be their takeaway. Four times he says he lays down his life for the sheep. Look at verse, where does he say it first? Look here at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, this doesn't mean that the shepherd always dies for the sheep. We know that's not the case. You've had many pastors and maybe none that have 
ever had to die for you. It does mean that the shepherd's willing to, if need be. How do you know if a shepherd's willing to, if need be? Heart issue, right? It's a relationship, right? Dying for somebody comes through a good relationship. You ever heard somebody say, I'd take a bullet for him? That means they're dear to me. Jesus uses this language. He's not saying that every pastor dies for his sheep. He's saying that every pastor is willing to die for his sheep. That's a relationship issue. He says it four times. He says it at verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Then he says it again in verse 15. I lay down my, just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He says it again in verse 17, because I lay down my life. He says it again in verse 18, I lay it down on my own accord four times. And yet it's often neglected. Now, I want to talk tonight about, <coughs> well, what about the ones that don't? He speaks to this. Go back up to um, <coughs> verse 12. This is fascinating. He who is a hired hand, now you know what he means when he has a hired hand. It's like, it's not the one who, it's the, it's, uh, who has the calling, it's the one who's just getting paid to fill in, right? Right. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, does everybody see that? He's making a huge contrast between the hired hand and the shepherd. Who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Does everybody see that? Now, I want to show you something here. It's a relationship issue. Why did he flee? Because he's evil? No. I want you to get this. Why did he flee? What does he say in verse 13 of why he fled? He didn't care for the sheep. It's just a, our relationship ain't that strong. Just like I'll take a bullet for that person, right? But look, do we have an idea of people that are wicked and corrupt? Yes. Look at verse 1. What's it say in verse 1? That man's a thief and a robber. When you give that declaration to somebody, that's clearly saying they are what? Wrong, wicked, corrupt. Look at verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Okay, Those are leaders that the sheep should not follow. Why? Because they're wicked and corrupt. They're thieves. They're robbers. They're dishonest. They lie. They're wicked. They're deceptive. The sheep do not listen to them. They're definitely not laying down their life for the sheep. They're wrong. You see that? There's a contrast here. Jesus, in talking about the shepherd talk... He's not talking about thieves and robbers here. He's talking about somebody that may be a good guy. He's talking about somebody that may be as honest as honest can be. He's talking about somebody 
who is so good at doing something that somebody hired him to be with the sheep. Hey, it's long as nothing went wrong. As long as nothing went wrong. As long as there were no wolves. As long as there was no drama. As long as there were no problems. As long as there were no sins. Do you ever see the difference here? Let's read verse 12 and 13 again. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he does not own the sheep, He sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. This man was happy to be with the sheep until the wolf came. And when the wolf came, this man left. And therefore, the wolf got the sheep. Verse 13. He flees not because he's a thief and a robber. He flees because he's a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. He's not a thief and a robber. He is just more in tune with his self-interest. He will preserve himself over the sheep. This is a hard passage, isn't it? No wonder we neglect. No wonder this is the most often forgotten aspect of shepherd. Now, when it comes to being a pastor, y'all aren't pastors. When it comes to being a pastor, if we're going to use the analogy to make y'all listen to me, y'all better follow me. We better use the analogy, right? There ought to be some commitment. There ought to be some relationship. You ought to be working to know me better. And I ought to be working to know you better. We, listen, ought to be working to love each other better. Because the New Testament warns and warns and warns, the wolves come. The New Testament warns that the wolves come sometimes dressed as sheep. The Bible warns us there may already be wolves around. The worst thing that can happen is for them to devour us and us lose our souls and lose our faith and neglect Jesus and His truth and faith and repentance and the forgiveness of sins and therefore face the judgment and go to hell. We must make sure we cling to Jesus. and We must make sure there are people helping us and protecting us from it. And we must make sure they're protecting us even if it costs them something. This is Jesus' point. Now, as I've already said, the shepherd doesn't have to often lay down his life to the point of death. I don't know of many stories. I've heard of some. I don't know of many stories. I've heard of ministers having a heart attack and dying in the pulpit. Y'all have too. I've heard of people walking in with a gun and shooting a preacher. I've heard of church members hating a preacher. 
But it's not always the case. But the analogy goes for the shepherd. The point of the passage is about the good shepherd. You need him to lay down his life for you. You need Jesus to die for you. And if you have never come to believe that, and you have never cried out to God for the forgiveness of sins, you have never asked God to have mercy on you and said, Shepherd, forgive me of my sins. You have never said what David says in Psalm 51 when he says, Lord, against you and you alone have I sinned. And my guilt is ever before me. Christian people that know Jesus are those who are able to admit they are guilty of their sins because they know that there is mercy with God and God will forgive. So while we can apply this passage to anybody who says they're a shepherd, let's not miss the main point of it that it's about Jesus being our good shepherd. And the way you become a sheep is when you cry out to God to be saved. When you say, God, change my life, make me new, forgive me of my sins, change my heart, wash me clean, and God will. He will save you. And when you confess Jesus to be Lord and ask Him to forgive you of your sins, the Bible says that at that moment you truly repent, you become a sheep. And becoming a sheep means you get the shepherd. The good shepherd. In the book of Hebrews... Chap- Let me turn there, and you don't have to turn there. But the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 20, look what it says. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. The author of Hebrews calls himself the great shepherd. It's what I preached on from the ordination service two weeks ago. Peter calls him chief shepherd. And he warns the fellow shepherds that one day the chief shepherd is coming back. I want to remind you here today that David in Psalm 23, which is what we opened with tonight in our call to worship, that David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And he takes that Lord is my shepherd and he says, I shall not want. And then he says that he leads him, he makes him lie down, he restores my soul. And then he says that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What does that mean? That means even to the point of death, even in the face of death, even when I'm scared to death, I will not be afraid because you are with me. And the shepherd that he knows to be his Lord is a real shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. And if you know that there is one greater than you that lays down his life for you, then you're not afraid of when your life has to end. Christians are not afraid of death because that, could be the, that is the best thing that could ever happen to us. But if you don't know God, you're scared. That's what David meant in Psalm 23. That's why it's always read at funerals. Because even in the face of death, we will not be afraid because he is with us. With us in death. Why? Because he's already died 
for me. We can die because he died. He laid down his life for us. He's our shepherd. Now, you don't have to turn there. but In the book of Zechariah, okay, second to last book of the Old Testament, God gives this warning. Listen to this. This is Zechariah chapter 11, verse 17. Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. Have y'all ever heard of a shepherd leaving the sheep? Y'all ever heard of a babysitter coming over to babysit when you got home to find them and the babysitter was gone? I've never once heard a story like that in my whole life. Never. Because it's absurd. The Bible uses that analogy for life, for Christians, for church. And yet it tells us that often the shepherd flees. The longer I preach, the more I'm making it sound like I have to stay here forever. That's not the case. Maybe pastors can leave. But if a pastor does leave, better make sure the sheep are provided for, right? Better make sure the sheep are taken care of. Better make sure there's no chance they're in danger. That's what Jesus is saying. The shepherd so loves the sheep, so understands that he is there to protect the sheep, that he'll lay down his life. He says it four times. And he doesn't just talk the talk. Praise God. The chief shepherd, the great shepherd, walks the walk. He told those unbelieving people in John chapter 10, I lay it down, and you won't even take it from me. I'll lay it down myself. And it's 10 chapters later in chapter 20 where he lays it down. And you better believe that when he did die, he did it for the sheep. That you could be saved. That you could be forgiven. That your conscience could be cleansed that your sins could be washed away and forgiven. You're familiar with the shepherd analogy, but I pray tonight you are in love with it. And you are thrilled for Jesus to be your shepherd. And you're mindful that you're a sheep and he's a shepherd and you want that to be the case. You want him to lead you and you want to follow him. You want to do what I read here. He, you hear his voice and you listen to it. And then he says that they don't listen to the other voices because they know they're not the shepherd's voice. He says that too. They listen to the shepherd's voice. And I pray that tonight you are in love with John chapter 10 and the good shepherd. And I pray also that God would continue to make us a church that gets church. And part of getting church is getting church leadership. Part of understanding church is understanding what it means to have leaders and pastors and, 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 and to have a commitment to each other and to not just say, well, that's where I tend. I know we say we go to church, but we need to say where we belong to church. 
We need to say who I'm accountable to. We need to say who, who cares for me. We need to get who loves me and who loves you back and who is willing to do whatever it takes for your soul. You need to know what it is who weeps for you, prays for you, prepares for you, and does all of that. And we need to get that. And the Word brings us there. It is no light thing for God to say, if you desire to go into the ministry or to be a preacher or a teacher, be careful. Most of you should not, he says, because you'll be judged more strictly. To take the same title of shepherd as Jesus used for Himself and to try to do to people what God is doing to people and lead them into truth and righteousness and to help them to listen to God and follow Him and then to protect them from ruining their lives and following after the million other voices that there are in the world is scary. So, you have a shepherd in me, and the only goal for you to trust in the good shepherd who laid down his life for us. I pray tonight that you would be so thankful for the good shepherd who four times in this passage says he lays down his life for us. The next time you hear a conversation about church leaders, the next time you hear a conversation about what it means to shepherd Don't forget the often forgotten aspect. It's a commitment. It's a commitment to make sure we're doing what we can for the sake of Jesus, no matter what it costs us. If you're here tonight and you've never believed in Jesus, you've never become a sheep and He become your shepherd, believe in Him. Get saved. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins and become a Christian. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank You for John chapter 10. Thank You, God, for the strong warning in Zechariah. Woe to the shepherd that deserts the flock. God, I thank You that Jesus never did that. He is a good shepherd. He tells another story where one of his 100 sheep got away. He made sure he went and got them. Father, I pray that tonight we would feel like we're sheep. That we would be strengthened by your rod and your staff that comfort us because you're such a good shepherd to us. A shepherd in such a way that you lay down your life for us. Father, thank you. For Jesus, may we be faithful to Him as He is faithful to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.